Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Green, and I'm so excited you're here. I'm excited about every podcast I do, um, but this one I'm really looking forward to. And it's all about an acronym. And I know sometimes acronyms can be kind of silly, but this one is really useful. It's called the safety model. I use it with my leaders. And before we get into it, I just want to do a quick reminder. So a few podcasts ago, early on, we talked about your brain and how it is wired to be a threat detector. It is scanning the environment constantly looking for threats. Now, this made a lot of sense uh, in ancient times, and we have not evolved to notice how safe we are now in the modern world. We still think things are coming at us, trying to kill us, at least our brain does, every fifth of a second. And we are wired with five times as many neural processes for negative thinking as positive thinking. But in this podcast, I want to talk about why. What actually triggers us and puts us in that threat state. Because when you understand what does it, you can better understand what's happening and you can better shut it down. So I use this model with my leaders and I teach it in my leadership class, Conversations for Brilliance. And I've always called it how to create a brain safe environment. Well, Google a couple of years ago did a study on High, highly effective teams. They called it Project Aristotle. And they came up with the same conclusion, and that is high-performing teams are led by leaders who create what they call psychological safety. So psychological safety is probably going to be the term that sticks. But why? And why do we, whether we're a leader or just a parent or a friend, consultant, why do we want people to feel safe around us? Well, for most of us, that's obvious, but some people actually do try to influence through fear, which can work temporarily, um, but it's not going to work for long. People are either going to stop being your friend, they're either going to divorce you, or they're going to leave your department and tell HR what a nasty manager you are. So we also want people to feel safe, not just for our own benefit, but because when people's brains feel safe, that is, they are not under threat, they think better, they trust better, they're more open, they're more innovative, they can access the intelligent part of their brain instead of running around all the time on impulse. So it's in our best interest to learn why people get triggered and how not to do it. So before the safety acronym came around, um, I always used David Rock's brilliant SCARF acronym. And his SCARF model stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. And I highly recommend you go get his article called Managing with the Brain in Mind. You can just Google that. David Rock, Managing with the Brain in Mind. I give this to all of my new clients who manage people. And they always have huge ahas about themselves um, and about others that, work, that they work with. 
So years after David Rock came up with this brilliant acronym, Phil Dixon, CEO of the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership and former head of people at Apple, came up with this model, SAFETY. And I love this acronym because it adds a little bit more to, so it adds on to the SCARF model, and it also works as a great mnemonic for just reminding us exactly what it's about. It is how to create brain safety and what triggers us and puts us into threat mode. So I'm going to talk about the different elements and break it down for you. So the S in safety stands for security. And this basically has, you can think of it as having three C's that fall under it. The first one is certainty. People want to know that tomorrow there will be a roof over their heads, a paycheck, food on the table. They'll be able to send their kids to college. They'll have health care. Um, if they get sick, it won't be a problem because they'll be able to take off work. Um, they'll have money in the bank for um, basic survival needs. And in the absence of certainty, we get extremely stressed. The other C is consistency. We want, for example, our boss or our spouse to have predictable behavior. If we have a mercurial boss and we don't know from one day to the next what he's going to be like or what she's going to be like, it makes us on edge. We're constantly questioning what's today going to be like. And we don't like it. We don't like that kind of unpredictability. And by the way, I'm talking about employees and friends, but this goes for children as well. Our children want parents to be consistent. They want to have certainty that things are going to work out. And the third C is change, or rather lack thereof. Now, everybody has a different capacity for change and um, ambiguity. But to your brain, change is pain. So if you've ever tried to change a habit, your brain will try and talk you out of that. And it's because to your brain, that is a threat to its security. Now, unfortunately, there are so many things going on in the world today that create a lack of certainty, inconsistency, and too much change. And if we just think about our, my own country, the United States, um, unlike uh, blue zones, which are places in the world that have been shown to have the highest level of happiness, um, the United States does not have a very solid safety system. Um, we don't force companies to give everybody health care. We don't provide health care for everybody. And the more uncertainty you have, the more stress you have. And the more stress you have, the more you get sick. So it's this horrible self-fulfilling prophecy where we don't have certainty, so we get sick, and then we prove that our fears were warranted. So that just gives you a sense of what's at stake here when we have uncertainty and how it's so important for companies, for leaders, for parents to create as much certainty as they can in somebody's life. The next letter, A, stands for autonomy. Now again, everybody has different autonomy needs and everybody, for the most part, is willing to trade in some of their autonomy for things like safe roads. I am going to agree to follow the rules and stop at a stop sign or a stoplight, um, even though I might want to go through it, but I'm going to agree to do that because it's for the greater good. So as an example, 
And in the workplace, people are willing to give up some autonomy for a paycheck and benefits. Um, Unless you're crazy like me and you're one of those crazy entrepreneurs who has such high autonomy needs that you're willing to give all that up. So yes, autonomy is huge, huge driver for me and feels like it always has been in my life. I remember when Marissa Mayer took over Yahoo and um, gave out her famous dictum that everybody would have to work in the office, regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their job, their preferences, um, their schedules, they would have to work in the office. And I remember thinking, oh boy, this could be the beginning of the end. Um, It actually ticked most of the boxes in the safety acronym, but the first one that came to mind for me was autonomy. You're now dictating something very important to people. So one of the things that managers can do is help people be appropriately flexible. So we still need to get the work done, but how do you let night owls, for example, come in later and do their best work in the evening? How do you um, have flexible work schedules that make sense? So some ideas. Also, um, one of the biggest threats to autonomy, at least it was to me when I worked in corporate, was unproductive meetings. I felt trapped. Like I could be spending my time so much better. So as a leader, structure meetings so they are productive, they are quick, um, they are inclusive, and they are purposeful. If you just need to inform people of something, send an email, unless it's a highly contentious um, inform. Send an email, skip the meeting, and tell people, I'm not going to have a meeting to tell you this because your time is too valuable. If people want to stand, have them stand. It'll go quicker. And keep meetings short. Begin them on time and early. And consider adopting a policy where anybody can decline any meeting that doesn't have a clear agenda and doesn't detail why each person is invited. And then celebrate people who actually decline your meeting requests because of that. So those are a few ideas. After autonomy comes F, and F stands for fairness. Now, fairness doesn't mean treating everybody the same. So the Yahoo decision may have felt fair from Marissa Mayer's CEO standpoint, but I got to tell you, it probably did not feel fair to employees. I mean, we don't give everybody maternity leave only if you had a baby, and people understand that. It's not unfair. It makes sense. When people perceive something as unfair, it's a very powerful emotion. The same part of the brain is affected as if we tasted or smelled something disgusting. So being on the receiving end of this feeling is no fun. If you've ever had somebody feel like you um, were unfair to them or you disappointed them, it feels worse than actually somebody being angry at you. And at home, children are constantly feeling fairness threats. So I recommend with your kids, you never say the word disappointed because it's so painful for them to hear. Spouses and partners can feel an unfairness threat when they feel like they've been doing too much and the resentment is building up and it's oozing out of them, whether they're saying it or not. We can feel that they feel that there's a fairness threat. And in the corporate world, there are so many policies that feel unfair. Uh, performance management is the big one. And if you have forced ranking in your company, I'm so sorry because it isn't fair and it's going to create a huge threat. If you have any control, I remember um, when I worked at Oracle, I had a manager, Ben. He was so great. 
And we did have a forced ranking system. And in the calibration meeting, he gave us all the top ranking. And he told his, he convinced his manager why we should all have the top ranking. And I think he was probably one of the people that, um, that got that system dismantled. At least it was back then. So when I was, um, when my daughter was little, I had this policy of never telling her I would take her somewhere, buy her anything, until I knew it was possible, until I had checked and I knew that tickets were available and I had purchased them. Because I knew what it felt like to be on the receiving end of that. And meanwhile, she had grandparents who were really well-intentioned and would say, hey, honey, maybe we'll take you to Disneyland this year. Well, to her little mind, that was, I'm going to Disneyland this year. Have you thought that through? Have you looked at the schedule, made sure she doesn't have school that weekend? Or even just, hey, maybe we can go to the amusement park tomorrow, and then you find out it's closed. So this was just something I did in my life that was probably a little crazy over the top um, because kids are going to get disappointed, but there's so much disappointment in their lives already, I didn't want to add to it. All right, the next one, the E, stands for esteem. Now this one has three parts. The first one is, how do we see ourselves? What's the story we tell about our own self-worth and our own qualities? And as you may recall from earlier podcast, most of us are telling us a story that says, I am not good enough. The second part is how we see ourselves in relationship to others. This is the one where we compare ourselves to others, and usually we measure up short in our minds. So we compare ourselves with our looks, with our presentation skills, with our analytical skills, with our writing skills, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. And the third part of esteem is our interpretation of how we think others view us. We're constantly guessing, although to us it feels certain, about what other people think about us. Like, oh my gosh, she's looking at me that, with that funny look. Oh, I must have done something wrong. Oh, she's really mad at me. When that story is just made up in our head and we actually have no idea what that person thinks of us until they say it. And even then, we don't know if they're saying the truth. Somebody might tell you that they love you dearly and your presentation was great, but they just don't want to hurt your feelings. Right? The common thread through all of these things, how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves in relationship to others, and how we think others view us, the common thread is all comparison. And comparison is painful. And we are often wrong. Because of our negativity bias in our brain, we are constantly misjudging how others perceive us. So if you have a leadership position at home or with your friends or at work, you need to be transparent. If you're in a bad mood, it would serve you to tell people why you're in a bad mood and that it has nothing to do with them. Maybe you just have a headache or maybe you have a face that just looks like a scowl. Yes, it's called RBF, or resting bitch face, or resting jerk face. Um, some people just have that, and it would be good for you to tell people, hey, this is my thinking face. I am really listening, and um, I think what you're saying is really interesting. More things that you can do. The next time you think something nice about somebody, tell them. In fact, if you're a leader or a parent, you need to be telling people five true things that are positive about them for every one thing corrective you tell about them. Because they already are telling each other 
telling themselves 30,000 things a day that they need to do better. They don't need you to pile on. They need you to shine a light on what's working. And you know, that person that you look up to, that you put on a pedestal, guess what? They're a total mess, just like you, just like me. They have anxiety. They have self-doubt. They have imperfect marriages. Oh yeah, that's a really good one. People look at parents, look at uh, marriages, and they think everybody else's is rosy except for mine. Well, if you become a trusting person and a trustworthy person, you will be amazed at the things people tell you about their life. So it becomes such a gift when you become a person who can create a safe environment, a gift to others and a gift to yourself because you will um, have better friends, you'll have a better life. All right, let's talk about trust. That's the T in safety. So I like to think about this as having somebody think back to when there was a time in their life where they were really happy among a group of people. Maybe it was a work team. Maybe it was a sports team. Maybe it was a musical ensemble. But what was going on then? Okay, well, you were probably effective, you know, getting great results. But you probably also had really great relationships. Nobody ever comes up with an example where they got great results, but they all hated each other. That would not be a great time in your life. We have a tribal brain need for human connection. And it makes sense because if we were disconnected from the tribe and ostracized, we might as well be dead. We needed people and we still need people. We are not lone wolves. And when people feel excluded or ridiculed, the pain center of their brain lights up. And studies have shown that this pain called social pain is actually worse than physical pain because we feel it every time we think it. So we need connections, but we're wired to distrust because that kept us safer. If we distrusted, we didn't make a mistake and trust somebody who was out to steal our women or burn down our village. So we noticed subtle differences. This is no longer useful, and there is an easy way to override it. All you need to do is find something in common with people. So start asking really good questions. Where are you from? What do you like to do in your free time? Where'd you go to school? What did you study? You will come up with something that you have in common. And then share with share what you have in common. Talk about yourself as it relates to what you have in common with them. It can take something silly as, you know, we both have rescue dogs, or we both have designer dogs, or um, we both like ice cream. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but your brain will switch from faux network to friend network. And research has shown we literally think differently when somebody tells us, Two people can tell us the same exact thing. One person we trust, one person we don't. The person we don't trust, it does not get through our context. We don't believe them. We don't even hear it. The person we trust, we think, huh, whoa, I better think about this. And this is why when managers ask me, hey, I have this employee who's really underperforming and I need to give her some tough feedback, I always ask, what's your relationship with her? What is the quality of your relationship? Well, she's new, 
you know, we've kind of butt heads. We don't really get along yet very well. Then I say, don't give the feedback because it is going to bounce right off. And I'm sure you've had this happen where you worked for a manager whom you did not trust. That person may have given you feedback that was valuable if it had come from somebody else, but coming from this person, nah, you are not letting that in. So you got to work on the relationship first. Now, everybody has a different bias toward trust. Some people just give it and don't take it away until they've been burned. And some people wait and wait and wait until it's been proven, which gets me to the why in safety. And the why stands for you. You are unlike any other human. You've had a different past. I don't care if you have a twin sibling. You two have uh, interpreted your past differently because you had different thoughts about everything that was happening to you. So this one is all about our thoughts that have gotten us to where we are to this point in our life, our inherited genetics that affect who we are, how we were raised, things that have happened to us. You know, for me, uh, breaking my back in a car accident at age 22 shifted my life hugely and forced me to learn things and do things that I would not have otherwise learned. Now, not everybody would know that about me, but it's something that's important to my existence and how I interpret the world. But then we come back to our present day and things like how much sleep we got, how much coffee we had, uh, what happened to us in the morning before we got to work is all going to affect how much we trust and what kind of uh, fearful or safe environment we have and how triggered we get. Um, I remember Phil telling me about Phil Dixon, who invented this safety model. I remember him telling me about a workshop he was doing. And he was running a workshop to help a leader build more trust on his team. The team was not doing well, and there was a serious morale problem. So they were talking about trust and sharing stories about themselves. And this leader told a story about him and his father. And his father and he used to play a game where the little boy, who was five years old, who's now the leader, would jump off the table into his dad's arms yelling, we. And he kept doing this, and he would repeat this, and it was so fun. And then one day... He jumped off the table into his father's arms, and his father intentionally didn't catch him. And the little boy looked up stunned. He was so confused. And his dad said, let this be a lesson to you, my son. You can't trust anyone. And he believed it. And he has grown up to be a tyrannical uh, leader who trusts no one. So he has decided that that is the story that he's going to stick with. And now people know a little bit more about where that story comes from. They know it's not personal, but it still doesn't feel good. So really knowing what is the story you're telling yourself that makes you behave in the way you do, that gets you triggered in the way you do. And know your triggers. Other people are not responsible for your being triggered, right? Um, we talk about hot buttons a lot or pet peeves. Well, they may step on your hot button, but you installed it. You own it and you can turn it off. So I already admitted to you that um, autonomy is a huge trigger for me. And when I was in corporate America, 
I used to get constantly upset by meetings that dragged on, by micromanaging bosses. It just drove me insane. But now that I don't have that situation, autonomy is no longer a threat to me. I have all the autonomy I need. So I get triggered for other things. Um, so maybe trust, relatedness is more important to me right now. Security is always going to be a concern um, just because, you know, I have some concerns about my future and my health. I still have some health issues um, resulting from Lyme disease and my car injuries. So I always want to make sure those things are taken care of. So for me, those are probably my bigger triggers. And it's important for me to notice that and then come up with some things I can do to mitigate them. So I want to give you a few ideas for mitigating the fear and switching back to calm. And the first thing I'm going to recommend is that you stay off social media. And I mean specifically Facebook, Instagram, and even Twitter. Facebook especially is designed to hook you and keep you online. They want to keep you online for as long as they can so that the algorithm can learn as much as possible about you. And the best way to keep you online is not to make you happy. The best way to keep you online is to piss you off, to get you in an argument with somebody, to get you reading articles that are going to make you sad or upset uh, because you get hooked and you keep trying to read, trying to create resolution. You will come away stressed. And even if you are not in conversations with people, you're going to be scrolling and noticing people and having comparison threats all the time esteem threats all the time. So you don't need to have this happen to your brain just to make Facebook money with its advertisers. So do yourself a favor and get off. Next thing, in addition to saying no to Facebook, say no to watching the news or any other dystopic entertainment because that's what the news is now. It is dystopic entertainment. They hook you by making you angry and afraid. And you know what? You can find out what's going on in the world without watching or listening to news. And I would suggest you block off just 15 minutes a day max where you check the news. And then go do something and remind yourself of something good that's going on in the world. Maybe go to the website Thrive Global and see something that's going on great in the world. Or Lifehack to see something online that gives you an idea for how to live better. The next thing is to practice gratitude constantly. Anytime you notice you're having a painful emotion, name it. I'm feeling fear right now. I'm feeling uncertainty right now. I'm feeling anger right now. Notice what's happening in your body. Those emotions are vibrations in your body. Maybe your heart rate's going faster. Uh, maybe your breathing is shallow. Maybe you feel a flutter in your heart, in your stomach. Notice that and then name something you are grateful for. There is always something good going on in the world. Always. And if you're feeling a threat to your security, notice that somebody built roads and you have all these wonderful roads to drive on and sidewalks to walk on. Anything will do. Just shift your brain to gratitude. Practice the STEER model that we learned in an earlier podcast. That's situation, thought, emotion, action, result. That will help you upgrade your negative, fearful thought to a better thought that makes you feel better and act better and get better results. And then find positive distractions. So instead of surfing the web or social media, clean out a junk drawer. 
uh, clean a closet, read a chapter. The other day, I was so despondent about what was going on in the world. I decided I needed to wash my car. And on the same day, my mom did the same thing. We didn't even tell each other this was happening until the next day we debriefed. Um, both washed our car, could have taken it to a car wash and just sat and read the news while I was watching them wash my car. But instead, I did it myself, and it was so satisfying. I played great music, I got immersed in the job, and when I was done, I had something that was a physical example of my labor and that felt so good because we want things in our environment to reflect um, our inner self and vice versa. So if you clean that closet, if you put a bunch of bags together for good goodwill, if you clean out your car, you are going to feel more at ease and less triggered. And then finally, breathe. When you feel anxious, when you feel worried, when you feel a threat, breathe. And it can be as simple as just breathing through your nose and taking a big belly breath. And you know it's a big belly breath when you put your hand on your stomach and your stomach actually goes out on the inhale. That means you're breathing down into your diaphragm, it's expanding, and then hold it just naturally. There's always a natural pause between the inhale and the exhale, and then let it out fully. And if you really want to get the benefit of this, exhale until you can't exhale anymore. And just imagine any toxic, toxic air, any toxic emotion, it's all coming out with that breath. And then take a beautiful inhale back and notice how much calmer you feel. So I'd like you to just reflect and take into consideration what kind of environment are you creating at home, with your friends, at work. You can use this, like I said in the beginning, to make a safe environment where people feel calm and trusted, or you can be a tyrannical leader and create fear and division intentionally. I don't know about you, but I definitely want to be the first kind of leader. I want to bring out the best in myself and in others. So when you notice that you're starting to feel out of control and that fear is taking over, just remember to identify something that is within your span of control, like washing the car, reading that chapter, cleaning out that junk drawer, putting away the dishes, and then do it. And when it comes to fear, it's a normal emotion. There is nothing wrong with you. In fact, it means you have a perfectly normal brain. But here's the thing. Fear is not an excuse for not doing something. You can feel the fear and do it anyways. But I suggest that you do it anyways and then you really celebrate. Celebrate that you moved through that fear, you didn't let it stop you, and you became your better self as a result of it. So I hope you've enjoyed this. I am looking forward to hearing what triggers you and how are some of your favorite ways to mitigate it. Thank you so much for listening. It has been my pleasure to spend this time with you, and I hope you will join me for the next episode of the Work-Life Brilliance podcast. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. 
and be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes.